and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as always I'm joined by Ushin Collins to discuss the weekend's rugby. Hello Park and welcome also to all of our new listeners. So last week's crossover episode with the Rugby Report Card Boys seems to have generated a lot of interest both here in Ireland and uh, down under as well, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant and we look forward to having you all on board. And we start off this week with news, some chat about the sevens and the under 20s before moving on to the main event, the first Australia v Ireland test. And then we'll wrap up with some chat about the other test matches from the weekend and pick our second row top performer and clown of the round. But first, as always, we bring you some news. So, Pork, the, uh, probably the biggest news this week was the tour that wasn't. Yes, really disappointing report that last week of the Australian Rugby Union had made an offer to the IRFU to bring down the Irish women's team for a tour, three series tour. Which would have been brilliant. And as curtain raises for all the men's matches as well. So same stadium, same city, same hype. Exactly. It would have been brilliant. Yeah. And I mean, so when when the news broke this week that the IRFU had turned down this opportunity, like I just assumed there was something else going on. Like it had been a last minute invite or they hadn't been enough time to prep for it. But news that's come out since, it doesn't really sound like that was the case at all. No, the RFU answer to that was effectively that they are focusing on the november series and a match against the usa so like is this a new are we allowed to do that can i just phone work tomorrow and say i'm really focused on what i have to do in october so i'm going to a beer garden for the summer it sounds like it i would try that but i'm self-employed and i wouldn't get paid ever again so (laughs) yeah uh i mean some some of the chat from the the former internationals and and people within the women's game has just been about how disappointed they are that this didn't happen and i and i don't think anyone is pointing fingers it's just it's just really disappointing yeah it's, it's just not where anyone wants to see the women's game go you know these opportunities should be taken and kind of almost forced through and by hook or by crook done. Yeah, sign sign the contract and then figure out how you're going to make it happen. Exactly, and there's rumours that the women weren't even offered the opportunity to take the time off work to do this. I just don't understand it. Yeah, and I mean, you have to question whether or not, given the IRFU setup whereby the women's game and the sevens uh, for both women and men are reporting into a single director, is it a conflict of interest thing? Because, like, don't get me wrong doing a tour of Australia is brilliant for the 15s game, but it's probably not the best prep for the 7s World Cup. But you've got to think that if the IRFU is serious about women's rugby, this is an opportunity they can't let pass them by. Like how many players realistically is there a crossover? Two or three? Uh, Probably, but then you look at coaching and um, whether there's nutrition and the backup teams. True, and they'd be pretty much the same across both. But look, I mean, it's it's possibly a question of scale, which, you know, kind of segues neatly into our second point of news this week which is my thing about refereeing right not trying to say that all referees need to be perfect all of the time but it would be nice if most of the referees were mostly correct most of the time and when you're trying to run a sevens tournament the under 20 world cup and june internationals and like a full suite of june internationals i'm starting to get the sense that the well is running pretty dry yeah tra- i'd say i'd say trading high quality refs is really really difficult to be perfectly honest well, it's kind of unforgiving anyway <laughs> yeah because it's a thankless task you yeah. know like, oh sorry i'm not volunteering to referee any of these but it would be nice <laughs> if the dudes who did it got like even if they got all of the decisions right within one game that are kind of consistent to one another and uh, i don't know i just 
I wonder, is there some sort of scheduling issue? Like there's been chat about global seasons before. Maybe think about how many dudes you have you can give a whistle to who's not going to mess it up all of the time. Well, there's always been the chat of like the Northern Hemisphere refs seeing things differently to the Southern Hemisphere refs. That alone is a factor in all these tests. And World Rugby need to think of one, players need to be able to know what they're getting into for every game. And if they want to sell rugby as a spectacle, the viewer needs to know what the refs are going to call by looking at it themselves. Yeah, exactly. You just have to understand how the game works. And rugby is complicated enough without changing which way you're going to call the breakdown and which way you're going to call you know, the tackle every two seconds within a game. Yeah, definitely. But come here, speaking of sevens, obviously we had the Paris sevens this weekend. And uh, I don't know, after the celebrations of London last week, it just felt like a bit of an anticlimax for me, certainly in terms of the men's game. Definitely. You know, this was the last game on the seventh series of the year and the last chance of the sevens were a cup in San Francisco to play against tier one opposition. So our men's side had a solid day one performance. They topped the pool. They were back into the cup championship for the second tournament running, but it didn't quite keep going from there for them. Yeah, and I don't think they were playing quite as well as last week and it really went downhill on day two. Like first thing up, a game against Canada that you'd really expect them to be competitive in and uh, knocked out of the cup, literally at the first hurdle there. That's the game I actually got to watch on the second day. And as hard as it is to win a rugby match without the ball, it's even harder in sevens. And we just didn't control the ball for long enough spells. Yeah, and our reward for losing that game was to come up against a highly motivated Fiji team who were in the fifth place semi-final and knew that they needed to lock up fifth place in order to have any hope of winning the series. Like, the one team you don't want to play when they're motivated. Yeah, that was never going to end well. No. Not a bad outcome, though, for the series overall. No, from the two appearances to finish 15th in the series is very good. And for an invitational side, I think that's exceptional. Yeah, I mean, they finished ahead of Russia, who are actually in the series full-time. And this team has enough quality to get into the, the series full-time. And they have that opportunity when they're in the Europe Grand Prix in the end of June. Yeah, this team definitely has the quality. And if they can win through from that Grand Prix, I think that qualifies them for a permanent spot on the Sevens Tour. So it really is just about making that work. Definitely. And also in Paris, the women's team are playing. Yeah, so um, our women's team, who do have a permanent spot on the Sevens Tour, had a a pretty decent tournament, um, particularly given how tough a pool they got drawn in. Yeah, they beat Wales in Game 1, but then lost to England and New Zealand. And in all fairness, they are two very good teams. Yeah, I mean, sure, New Zealand were um, the eventual winners of the tournament and and England are no no, um, slouches either. No, they just, they had that really good mix of power and handling that is key in sevens. And to be fair, having missed out on qualification for the cup competition on day two, they did exactly what was needed. Yeah, they, you know, beating Wales again, which you kind of expect them to, but then beating Russia for the first time ever in a... 10th final was impressive absolutely and like that was a close game like we were watching that one and it took kind of a try at the last minute which was i think the two of us were saying just take the points take the points and they tapped and went and got their try so like fair play um trophy trophy champions for that competition definitely and 10th in the seven series overall so there is room for improvement obviously but keeping core status is the first goal when you're not going to be challenging at the at the other end yeah absolutely and they're back in action so that's kind of their series over because they're not they don't have to go through the grand prix tour that the guys do um so the next time we'll see them in action is the sevens world cup in san francisco in late july um which our men's team are competing in as well well speaking of world cups the under 20s are playing uh, well we're playing last week and they're playing again tomorrow like i just really want this to be over <laughs> 
yeah, like that was a really disappointing outcome from the game and from the tournament overall. Yeah, like I mean, the final score was twenty four points to Georgia against twenty to Ireland, but that actually flatters us. Like until the seventy eighth minute, we were twenty four points to eight behind, like to eight. We haven't really hit the heights of previous under twenty sides this year. Is it time to get worried? I don't know. Like players do come through in waves, I guess, but it certainly looks like you know somebody in quality control of the production line was asleep for the last while because this batch of under 20s is is just not up to the same standards and like weren't great last year really poor this year so i'm kind of hoping there's some sort of a, a groundswell of players coming through because otherwise you'd start to worry about you know where's the pipeline of the next set of internationals coming from true but like every year there's always three or four that you're kind of pinpointing and yeah. Two of them there's, were injured like before before the year. tournament, but the two others were injured before the tournament started. Yeah, I guess that's true. But you know, one of them was also in the back row, and the other one was a prop. So I don't know, like where are where our scores going to come from? Maybe, maybe I'm being overly pessimistic, but I just <laughs> we're spoiled in Ireland. We're used to seeing teams come through and just like beat everything around them. So maybe it's not so bad. And I guess fair play to Georgia. Like that's the first time they've got a win over Ireland and like continuously improving in the um, the Rugby Europe Championship, the second tier Six Nations. And this is just another great win for them. And there's two people who like rugby in general. It's really important that teams outside the Six Nations teams start coming up and winning matches and being competitive because rugby yeah. needs to grow. We just want to see more people playing the game at a high standard. And this is all part of that. Exactly. I'd like to see us increase the standards for this week's game. So we have the Scotland under twenties in the ninth, oh, the ninth place semi final. How is that even a thing? It, it's all these things from sevens, or just to keep teams playing all the way to the end. Because at underage, more especially, I think more games is better than less games. Yeah, I suppose. Well, like Scotland should be, you know, beatable opposition. They haven't won a game either, so uh, beat them, and it's through to a ninth place final against the winner of Georgia v Japan. Yeah, and like in all fairness, this isn't a nothing match. You know, we have to win one of the last two games we're going to be in, so we're not relegated from the World Cup. Oh my God! Can you imagine if our under twenty side is no longer competing in the tier one competition? In all fairness, I think we'll beat Japan if it comes to that, but I want to see us beat Scotland. Hmm. No. Yeah, uh, let's like don't get me wrong. There's a degree of pride here, and I think these guys will want to go out and put two you know two wins up but they're going to probably have to go and play georgia again and beat them this time if they want to take anything out of this competition yeah fingers crossed yeah well i think that's enough preamble on to the main event yeah definitely australia ireland well first of all mr kelly i think you are the class in apology i was doing my ushing impression uh, <laughs> so i'd like to apologize for putting the commentator's curse on everything with that three nil prediction who would you like to apologize to you and the world yep ireland um <laughs> australia <laughs> i don't apologize to australia you're like an, you're a national hero in australia <laughs> i shall never predict anything ever again if i catch you predicting i swear poor don't make me get the wooden spoon all right then you predict something no i predict we can't be worse than we were this week we, like we weren't even that bad australia were very good and I got a little bit nervous when I saw the team we picked, but the thing is, we weren't we weren't a million miles away from winning that game. And the games we'd lost before this run of wins, we've always been there, thereabouts. So there's that thing of we're never ever far away, especially against top tier teams. 
Yeah, and I mean, again, we didn't perform to the level you'd hope, but I think I'm I'm optimistic. We'll talk a bit about what we need to do next week, but I think before we do, like, we do need to recognise that that was a outstanding performance from Australia. Definitely. The physicality they brought to that game was huge. The hits were incredible. Every time I see a game start like that, I, I just want to scream at everyone who, who says the game's gone soft about high tackles. Like, there, see, you can't tackle hard and legal. Yeah, I mean, Joey Carberry was in on addition as a crash test dummy for most of the first half. Oh, in all fairness, it didn't rattle him that much. Like, he didn't have a bad game by any means. No, he, didn't he, have was, a good he game was either. decent. I mean, he didn't control yeah. the game the same way that we're used to from Sexton, but he didn't look out of place. And, you know, in your first start against tier one opposition, that's impressive stuff. Definitely. And, like, Murray himself got whacked around a, a good bit as well. Yeah, he's kind of used to that targeting. At least no one was trying to chop his ankles out. That's, that is fair. But, you know, Australia had done their homework. Yeah, I mean, our the Irish defence particularly having picked two inside centres, was vulnerable out wide. Um, and even more so once Keith Earls went off. Like, Ireland relies on his defensive intelligence so much. And Australia just found space out in the wings again and again. Yeah, and you could really tell that Henge had, like, instructions to shoot. Yeah, it was one of these ones that, like, watching the game, I was getting so mad at him. But you can't, because it was, it was so preordained that it was like, your job is to get out of the line and disrupt you know, Beal takes the ball at first receiver, gets it out wide to Foley, and you should be getting Robbie Henshaw at the same time. Now, I will criticise him that it would have been nice if he'd made any of those tackles at any point. Yeah, it just wasn't. And the thing is, Australia were just so deep. You have to be either super fast yeah. or react accordingly, and he wasn't either. Well, that's it. I mean, one of the benefits, and I think we'll see Ringrose next week, is that Gary Ringrose is quick enough and smart enough defensively that if he misses the hit... He's able to recover and get back into a useful position, whereas Robbie Henshaw was like five metres behind the blade looking at it at that stage. I think what we discovered is we have two very good, very high international quality 12s. Yeah. So it depends what you want from your 12 and which one you play for me. Yeah. When when it comes to Robbie and Bundy. Well, Bundy's taken a lot of shtick this week in the press for reasons that I can't really fathom. I mean, his work, he was so industrious. His ball carrying was excellent, but he carried a lot of dirty ball into tackles. And his ruck work was good again, but you just need somebody outside that. And again, it's not to pin it all on on one player, but Earls is a huge outlet there. You look at the back three, he doesn't do what Stockdale does. He doesn't do what Carney does. He is a little bit more inventive. He finds space. And he just wasn't able to do that. And Larmor, when he came on, didn't seem to be able to do so either. You know, like, Larmor was okay, but he did seem a bit lost. I'm going to... There's a caveat here. He's 21. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's... What is his fourth international match at senior level? Something like that. Um, I was surprised by our kicking game. Or rather, I was surprised that it was done so ineffectively. Like, when you've got a back three, which is Israel Falau, one of the best players under a high ball in the world... Dane Hale Petty usually plays at fullback, exceptional to the high ball, and Marika Carabetti, not known for his catching. Like, how does that guy not get targeted with the kicks? Like, Ireland are usually su- such a well prepared team, and to not focus on them at all was a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like Joe Schmidt teams don't tend to make a lot of mistakes. No, and like, is that something you kind of go, that's because Carberry was at 10, or the box kicks for Murray weren't hit? Like, when. Murray would box kick, Kerr Betty wasn't in the back line. You know, you kind yeah. of... 
but I think what it reflects is just our decision making was just not quite there and you saw that over and over in the game so like CJ's break was excellent but the decision there was probably to pass the ball rather than go for the line um the but the thing is his line actually took out Herring as support yeah so that's like that's the problem if he held his line Herring was there but he he changed and then took his support out yeah like I think the two areas that Ireland really were, were were far poorer than Australia was our decision making. They were far more um, just smart in the decisions that they made, and I just don't think we were aggressive enough. Definitely not. Like we got beaten at the breakdown handsomely. Yeah, and I mean we looked we looked sluggish. Like we looked we looked like a tired team. And I'm sorry, I don't buy this. It's the end of the season stuff. The IRFU has more control over their players than any international side, maybe outside New Zealand. So their minutes are so managed. Using an excuse of being tired is just not acceptable for this team. Yeah, especially when you look at who was rested. The Leinster contingent weren't starting. No. So they, everyone, most of the people that played had an extra week's break, if not more. Yeah. And I mean, what was impre- what was disappointing for me was how little impact our bench made when they came on. Definitely. And we were 9-8 up when... We emptied the bench. I was like, all right, this game's on now. Absolutely. Sexton comes on. Furlong comes on. We just turned a screw. And it just never happened. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. The final score should have been closer than it was. That um, that TMO call for the Ireland try was... I've never seen that before. Like, I have a secret camera, which you're not allowed to see. Like, can the TMO just call that without anyone else seeing it? I'm guessing he can. Because they do things... He did. <laughs> Probably just as in one sense, though, given that Australia had a perfectly reasonable try chalked off for a tackle that happened, you know, at some point last season by the time the TMO caught it. Yeah, like it was definitely over the three phases in the past. And to be honest, I don't think it affected the game. Like if you look at where Henderson got taken out, we still had the ball. We were still playing away. So that's like Australia were definitely done on that one. Yeah, and see, I think it's from that phase. It's there in like five and four hand where Bundy had the ball. And didn't give it wide, and he got caught in two minds, and that's the and everyone in the press is just picking up on those two moments, and they're not seeing everything else he did, and that's where he's get where he got his abuse from, really for the for the last week, well, last couple of days. Yeah. Well, look, I tell you what, though, I was surprised to see Connor Murray get as frustrated, like as visibly frustrated as he did. He's normally a really cool head. I know. Like, firstly, for me, he spent as much time pointing at rocks as he did getting to the ball. Yeah. And he should de- should definitely have been carded for that. Um outburst at the ref yeah he probably should have uh i mean at least a penalty but i think it was more of an outburst near the ref than an outburst at the ref i think if he directed that to the ref like directly he was taking a early shower like i don't know i'm not a coach but as a scrum half stop pointing if you start grabbing the ball and it's not coming back out towards you the ref has something to go oh <laughs> that's what's happening there's just tons of hands in there if the <laughs> ball's not coming out make it look like a thing yeah, I think we missed on just the raw physicality of Dan Levy at the breakdown to, to murder whichever Australian had their hands on it, but flapping your arms isn't going to do much good. Yeah, absolutely. And like, let's actually talk the Irish strengths from that match, because there are a few bits we can hold on to. Yeah, I mean, our, our line-out was a real weapon, both offensively and defensively. Like, O'Mahony and James Ryan terrorised the Australian locks. O'Mahony's ability to read the line-out as from a defensive point of view, is sensational. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nearly as psychic as Jacob Stockdale. Nearly. Not quite. Nearly. There is no, no one is as psychic <laughs> as the interceptor. And seriously, though, like, I, I know I say this every time he plays, but 
James Ryan is yeah. a standout player around the pitch. Well, when we were talking to the guys last week from the Rugby Report card, they, they hadn't really heard about James Ryan. I mean, obviously, they, they'd seen the name. But um, even listening to their podcast this week, they were blown away by him. Like, there's no way a guy his age should be performing at that level while still being a leadership presence, which is the thing that sets him above. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, not a full-strength team. Ran Australia very close at home and without really hitting our stride. So while it does ruin your 3-0 prediction for the season, which, again, you are not forgiven for, it does bode well for the result of the series. Definitely. And for the World Cup, which this really is prepped for. Yeah. Um, Weaknesses, though really didn't have much of an ability to, to respond to Australia's kicking game, which we didn't really think was going to be the way they'd play it. But Curtly Beale kicked leather off it, and we just didn't look that dangerous. No, like, this is a bugbear of mine with Ireland and looking at Rob Kearney. Once he gets the ball in the backfield... Like he's not gonna like he isn't a counter attacking threat. Yeah, I mean he he'll give you he'll give you clean ball at the rook, but he's not gonna break a line. No, and to beat teams that have beaten us up front, we needed something else in the backfield. Yeah, and that kick transition is something needed. Yeah, and I mean again, like if Ireland need to be at the top of their game, like we're not we're like we're good, but we're not the All Blacks. Like we can't turn around play you know, in third gear for a whole game and then just do that thing where they ramp up the gears for five minutes and destroy whoever's in front of them. We need to be hitting form. We need everybody to have a good game. And there was just too many players who didn't have the game they needed to. Exactly. Like Ireland are a 90 to 95% performance level team. We outwork teams. Yeah. We outphase teams. We make them work for everything. And when that doesn't get going or we get interrupted, you can see a struggle. Yeah, it's a bit like that kind of Saracens model of just grinding teams into submission. Yeah. So look, what, what do we need to do next week? How do we win this? I think we're going to see more changes again. Uh, the team will change. I think we're going to have close to our best 15 out next week. Okay, so front row, back row, centres? I can see definitely Healy, Crone and Furlong starting. Yeah, which gives you a bit more variety. I mean, uh, part of the challenge we had this week was we didn't have many strong carriers in that front row. No, like McGrath, Herring and Ryan, they're all quite samey to me. Yeah, you could tell the limitation of their game by how much ball Henderson had to carry. Yeah, like literally you swap Herring for Cronin in that starting team. Genuinely, I do think the result is different. That might not be enough, but you stick Levy or Byrne on to deal with the breakdown and that possibly gets you the win. It's an outscoring thing. I think you, if you get a few scores on this on Australia, the heads might drop. I'm not saying they will, but they might. Yeah, well I mean I think it'll help if we stop giving Falau and... Um, DHP soft kicks to return yeah that was really poor and like it's got to be kicks to touch intelligent kicking and really good contestables or let Falau catch drop then smash him into next week like he's afraid of yeah absolutely that and better decision making more aggression and if that means new personnel fine but we're not 50% off where we need to be like small improvements should actually be enough definitely I think Ringrose comes in at 13 you pick one off Bundy and Henshaw to partner him, possibly even starting Conway in the back three. And suddenly it's a much different team. Yeah, suddenly it's game on. But like for Australia, where do you think they have to change? Like I think probably the big one is just to keep the penalty count down. I mean, some of that was how the breakdown was being interpreted. But if Ireland get their game going, they can't afford to give away penalties at the rate that they did at the weekend. No, definitely. And like, as we said, their line out was awful. Yeah, no, their line out is a shambles. And I don't, I don't want to blame it on the hooker. Like, I mean, 
new cap, but it wasn't that he was throwing particularly bad darts. It's just their lineup got read really easily, and that'll happen when you only have two credible jumping options. True. Whereas, like, if you compare that to the Irish pack, where all of the back five could realistically jump. Yeah, and you've got a couple of world-class jumpers within that. Um, exactly. Probably not a lot more for them to change, though. Feck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Blake, Richard, if you're listening, like, maybe throw this one so there's a bit of a series decider. Keep the old tension going. You know, it's good for TV ratings. And, you know, Australia needs good TV ratings for the rugby. Need that cash money. Cash money, cash dollar, dollar. <laughs> All right. So, do you want to quickly rattle through the other results? Yeah, we will. We'll quickly rattle through. And we'll start with the Saturday morning match of New Zealand v France. Yeah, which looked like a really close competitive game for about an hour. Like Both teams were warming up. It looked like it was going to be a brilliant game and part of a brilliant series. But then there was a terrible yellow card decision for a high tackle on Crotty, which wasn't high at all. And the All Blacks just went into hyperdrive mode. Like They scored three tries within quick succession. And you could just see the French heads drop. The All Blacks are just vicious when they smell blood in the water. And like equally as vicious was that headshot on Remy Grosso. Oh man, like... So first he gets high tackled by Kane and then the sub prop comes in and like shoulders him directly into the face. Like which like to the degree that he's got a double skull fracture. No sighting, no card, just a penalty in the game. And like when you go shoulder to head at force, regardless of whether it's an accident, there has to be a card. It's a total lack of consistency in a game where you've just yellow carded one of the French guys for what wasn't even a high tackle. Like, all I can see now is France coming out and going, you know what, screw this, and they're going to beat the New Zealand guys as hard as possible. Well, I hope so, because like, the other way the French can go is they just get real disinterested. And as long as they're, you know, happy to play with it, then as long as they're happy to continue giving it their all, it's going to be a really good series. You know, as long as Teddy Tama, you know, decides how he's going to play. Uh, but he must be so frustrating to play with, because he's lethal in attack, but he's just he's out of position more often than he's in the right place like he's just not an international caliber defender like there's just no other way to put it and that's just not really good enough no so we'll move on to South Africa versus England which was like the game of the round (laughs) like and hilarious (laughs) Um, this was a cracker it really was what a game what a game. And there was real drama. Like, it swung back and forth. Like, the South Africans started so slowly. Like, I I actually think Razzie saw the spread, said, lads, let them put up the spread, and can we bring it back? <laughs> I wonder what the in-play bets were on that game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no allegations are being made. I'll tell you what, though. Like, boy, did they come back into it. Oh, they played so well. But it looked like England didn't know how to control that game. No. But like we were saying, Willie LaRue had one of his best games in such a long time. And when he plays well... He's so fun to watch. But the thing is, how often is that? So, yeah. Well, I mean, you look at the teams that he plays in and I'm amazed the English guys, given that he's been playing in Wasps for the season, didn't have a handle on him. But he just looked like a transformed player. Yeah, like Razzie seemed to have that South African team really revved up. Yeah. And, like, there's certainly no lack of grunt or physicality. No, once again, really big hits. A joy to watch. Yeah, that was fantastic. Um, Shaping up to be a hell of a series. Definitely, definitely. And I can see Eddie having lots more interesting interviews for the next couple of weeks. (laughs) Yeah, apparently he didn't count the Barbarians' loss as a loss. I suspect this one goes firmly into the L column. 
Oh, Eddie, 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 Eddie. Anyway, and who did lose was Argentina versus Wales. Yeah, and it was pretty straightforward for Wales, to be honest. Like, Argentina got the first score of the game with a Sanchez penalty, but then didn't manage to score again until the 76th minute. Jesus. Yeah, and like that's despite having basically two-thirds of the possession in territory for the entire game. Like, Wales didn't exactly bring a, a strong squad on that tour. No, they rested most of their lines. I mean, it was nice. Like, Patchell got a good outing at 10. It was nice to see them work in some new combinations. But, like, at the end of the day, they just gave Argentina the ball and said, you know, come at me, bro. I know, and at 223 tackles to Argentina's 94. Yeah, no, madness. And, like, it's a shame because the Jaguars have kind of turned their form around in Super Rugby lately. And then to have this happen to their international team is just really disappointing. Yeah, I know what you mean. And, you know, speaking of a disappointing match, Canada v Scotland. So it will come as no surprise that I did not stay up until 2 in the morning to watch this particular fun fest. No, one-sided affair, seven tries for Scotland... Yeah, and a hat-trick for their hooker off a rampant line-out mall. You know, like, it's important that Scotland won this because they're ramping up to that match via Argentina, you know, USA then, and with USA in between hand. So they need to kind of win and be winning because Argentina, by the time it gets to them, will definitely be stung. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Quick set of predictions for next week. New Zealand, France? Nope. Good one. You've learned your lesson. Yeah, definitely no more predictions for me. So we'll move on quickly to the second row top performer and clown the round. And you have picked our top performer. Yeah, with the week that's in it, unfortunately, I couldn't look any further than David Pocock. And unfortunately, neither could Connor Murray for most of the weekend. Like, what a performance from someone who's just coming back to rugby. He was just outstanding. Like, seven carries, 15 tackles, four turnovers. And that could have been a couple more, depending on how you refereed it. And tops it off with a try. Like, he was just, a, he was impossible to play against. Unreal. Like, that man is a gift. Yeah, uh, and like, it was it was a little disappointing to see some of the Irish journalists having a go off him. Like, when, when you have a player who is that good at what they do, and like, I remember watching him at the start of the season for the Brumbies in Super, and he was struggling to get back into his game with the new breakdown interpretation, but he didn't seem to be struggling on Saturday, unfortunately for us. What journalists? Oh, Neil Francis. Like I said, what journalist? <laughs> Ouch. Um, what about you, Pork? You were identifying our clown of the round. Yeah, and I've actually gone back to the reason why we picked the clown of the round of just really stupid moments. Yeah. And I'm caught between two. It's not bad performers. It is clowns. <laughs> this is genuine clown moments. <laughs> and I've got... I can't betwi- pick between two, to be honest. So... I, I will indulge you on this occasion. Thank you. So yeah, and they're both from England, South Africa. So and what, they're both was English it one players. each? No, it was not. <laughs> so the first one is Elliot Daly. He was covering the backfield, like as pretty much a standard fifteen, run across the goal area. Then he just misses the ball, and South Africa score a try from it. And it was just there's no way he's just done that. Something's happened, right? The ball hit a small turtle and bounced over his head. No, no, he just missed the ball. That was too funny. That was only slightly beaten by Maro Otoje's, I think, getting tackled by gravity. Yeah. Because he went offside at a rock, then just fell. Like, I, th- I think he realised how offside he was and how much trouble he was going to be in. And his brain just said, system error, shut down. Yeah, I just fell to the ground and Faf went, there's, there's no one there. Yeah. 
I can score a try again. And just two incredible moments of brain fartery, I think. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely a, you know, nobody is home for this particular episode. Yeah, but so I, I just, I can't make up my mind which one I found funnier, so. Well, congratulations to David Pocock, Elliot Daly and Maro Itoji. Uh, taking home a very different quality of title to normal. Exactly. And that is us for this week. We'll be back next week to recap all of this weekend's fixtures. And we'll be previewing round three of the June tests. So reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash the second row. Or on Twitter where we're at the second row. That is 2ND, not the word second. And remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, like, subscribe, spread the word. So until next time, goodbye and thank you for listening. Good night, take care.